The title of my message is When Temptation Comes. And you know how when you <clears throat> get a book, sometimes there's this title there, like When Temptation Comes. And then underneath there's like this longer, almost subtitle or short overview of what it is. And if there was one for mine, it would be something like this. When temptation comes, do we even recognize it as temptation? And if we do, are we prepared to overcome it? So when temptation comes. And we're going to be looking in the Gospel of Mark, which I kind of gave you a heads up on. And last, two weeks ago, I guess it was, you remember I said, when, one thing about Mark is he, he's a guy of few words. He condenses things that the other Gospels kind of elaborate on. So uh, he gives us some information that they don't give us. But if you want to elaborate on it, you've got to look somewhere else. We're going to also be going into Matthew chapter 4 this morning. We're going to be talking about temptation. And to do that, I think we need to first look at the word that's used in the New Testament, the root word that's used. When you'll see this word translated, and depending on your translations, you'll see a number of different words that actually kind of carry a different meaning. The word in the Greek is pyrazo. Who cares, right? That's the word. But it's, it's translated tested, tried, testimony, or, uh, temptation, prove, all of these things. And what's so important is, and this is one of those classic words where context means everything. You can only really tell how this word is meant to be used by looking at the context. Because when this word is translated, it can be translated in such a way that it would be translated, for example, tempt or temptation, where the meaning is clear from the context that it's talking about temptation to sin. But that very same word can be translated, and it might even say test or temptation or tempt or try or prove, where what it means is it's a testing to grow us in our faith. Same word, translated differently, context tells you everything. And then sometimes it can get a little confusing because when you look at the context and the way it's used, it can mean both meanings simultaneously. That there is a temptation that could lead us unto sin, but it's also a testing that will help grow us in our faith. And I think we'll see that as we talk about temptation a little bit more today. In James 1... Verse 2 and 4, it says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials or testings or temptations. That's the word there. Well, we certainly don't count it all joy when we're being tempted to sin. So context clearly tells us this is a test. It's a trial that the Lord is allowing us to go through to build our faith, to prove our faith. It's a testing. Now, when we see Jesus being taken into the desert and confronted by Satan himself, What does that word mean, tempted? Well, when you look at that context, it certainly can mean both things simultaneously. He was obviously being tempted by Satan himself to sin. But guess who sent him to the desert? The Holy Spirit. My translation says impelled him to go into the desert. We sometimes can look at things in the Scripture and say, God, I wonder if Jesus knew that Satan was coming. This is a divine plan of God being carried out, right? It was the Holy Spirit that took him there to prove his faith, not to himself necessarily, but to us and reveal much. So we're going to be looking at testing and tempting, and I wanted to get that out there so we're kind of around the same page. Anybody ever been tempted? 
Sheesh, what a stupid question, right? You just assumed you didn't need to raise your hand because you know you're guilty. We're all tempted. Many, many times a day, sometimes we're tempted. We're tempted. We're going through different testings in terms of tempting. Testings, we're also being tempted to sin continuously. How many of you know, I hope, that temptation isn't sin? You know, we are tempted by Satan himself. We could be tempted by the devil. We are tempted by the world. Our peers that are around us can lead us towards temptation. We're tempted by the flesh, our flesh. All of these things can tempt us. But I want to encourage us. First of all, temptation is not a sin. But in James 1, it says this. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So when I read that, I'm thinking, well, I, I, I like to kind of blame Satan when I stumble and succumb to temptation. It tells me there that that temptation is there, and it's, it's a real thing, but it's not sin until my flesh, my lust, I am enticed by it, and then I act in an improper way towards it. So it's not sin to be tempted, but we can certainly enter into sin depending upon how we respond to that temptation. So how do we do it? How do we resist temptation? It's ever-present. How do we do it? How do we even know what to resist? You may, That seems, may seem silly, but have you ever realized after the fact that something that presented itself to you and you made a choice and you discovered, boy, that was a bad choice, and it's not until then that you realize that it was a temptation. There are so many things in the world today that are normal, that are evil. The world will tell us, you know, Scripture tells us, you know, the things that are evil they call good, and things that are good they'll call evil. We see this, and if we're not somehow aware, tuned in, there are things that are temptations in the world that we don't even realize are sinful and bad. But we need to. We have to. The question again is, how do we do that? Today we're going to look at the temptation of Jesus by Satan in the desert and see what we can learn about this because we have a really, really good model to follow in Jesus. You know, Jesus, the Bible says, was tempted just like all of us. There's no temptation that we've experienced that Jesus didn't experience, and he came out of it sinless. And we might say, well, yeah, that's because he was God. He can't sin. Well, his divinity, that divine nature, can't be tempted to sin. But guess what? He was all man as well as all God. That flesh side, that human side of him, could easily be tempted, even though the divinity side of him would not allow it to become sin in his life. So I'm going to read first in chapter 1 of Mark. Mark, and this is pretty much all Mark says about this whole event, starting in verse 12. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. That's it. But he does tell us some things that the other Gospels don't tell us. We see here... He was being tempted for the full 40 days. 
We don't get any elaboration or any specifics on how he was being tempted. But those 40 days in the desert, he was facing temptation the whole time. And another thing that we we see here in Mark's very few words is that the wild beasts were there. We don't know what that means. We don't know the significance of it. But I figure if it's in the scripture, there must be some significance to it. But I don't know what it is for sure. It could be an example of, you know, like Daniel and the lion's den. Even the wild beast didn't bother Jesus. Or it could be trying to give us a greater picture of terror or fear. We don't know for sure. Mark's few words, he condenses it, and then he immediately goes to the next subject. Matthew, on the other hand, elaborates. And I think we can learn much from Matthew when he tells us about this, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. I think I'd have become hungry day one. (laughs) And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, it also is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then that devil left him. And behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. Notice when I read these scriptures, it it says immediately or then. What had immediately taken place? What preceded this event? A very significant event. You know, in the natural, we could say a mountaintop experience had preceded this. Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist. And when he was baptized by John the Baptist, it says heavens were torn open. And a voice from heaven came. The Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove, and it says it it landed on him, and and it remained on him. And then that voice from heaven spoke, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Wow, this had just taken place, this public declaration of who Jesus was, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit landing upon him, remaining upon him, getting ready to be launched into this ministry that would change history forever. But immediately the Holy Spirit compels him, impels him, takes him out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. A divine plan being carried out, one that we maybe will never fully understand a divine plan nonetheless. He was tempted for 40 days. Just point of interest, that number 40 shows up quite often, doesn't it? You know, when the flood came, it rained 40 days and 40 nights. When Moses killed 
the Egyptian. He went out into the desert and raised sheep, herded sheep for 40 years. Israel, when they did not respond in the way that they should have to the promised land, they wandered around for 40 years. And now Jesus fasts for 40 days. You know, it's, it's, it's so easy for things to wear us down. You know, if we're going through a trial or a testing or a temptation, and it's continually before us day after day after day, it can wear you down. And as you become wore down, you become physically tired, you become spiritually tired, and I think Satan is there just licking his lips, knowing a little bit longer, a little bit longer. Got him right where I want him. For 40 days, it says he was tempted by the devil, but we don't see until after those 40 days that we are aware or made aware that Satan himself confronted Jesus. How many of us go through those testings and trials and they last way longer than we want them to? And what happens to us as we're going through those trials? You know, I've shared this testimony, part of Cindy and our testimony many times over the years, so bear with me, those of you that haven't heard it. It's your turn. We had a baby, Amber, our oldest daughter, and for four years, um, not the whole four years, but we were trying to have another child. And like so many of you, there's no, we couldn't conceive. Lots of praying. Lots of believing, lots of trusting that we were going to have another child. And we're actually in Des Moines at Cindy's brother's place. And Cindy's been praying about this child and crying out to God. I've been disappointed so many times, Lord. I think I'm pregnant and then I'm not. I think I'm pre- You've just got to show me something. Please show me something. So we go to their, her brother-in-law's church, an Assembly of God church in Des Moines. And for whatever reason... The pastor opened up the scripture to the Gospel of Luke. And when the Gospel of Luke was spoken, it was like confirmation in Cindy's heart that she was pregnant. And guess why we named him Luke, for goodness sakes. So we are excited, right? There was one little day in between where she had a doctor's appointment. She came home, and I came towards the house. I came home from work, and she was crying, and she came to the door and said, they think there might be something wrong. But it turned out everything went fine. The pregnancy went fine, and we had our little boy named Luke. Cow, how can anything go wrong? God is obviously all over this. And then about when he was 16 months old, something like that, I was on a trip. I worked for Relco at that time. I was putting on meetings down in the middle of Texas. And I get a call that our little boy had had a seizure. And we didn't know what it was. So, of course, I drove home from Texas that night. And ultimately, he had another seizure. And the doctor said, you better go to Sioux Falls and get it checked out. We did that. Man, are we praying. We were relatively new Christians, probably somewhere between two and three years old in our faith. And we didn't know a whole lot. And hopefully we've gained something, but maybe not much. But we knew to pray and fast. And we were praying and fasting. We went to the doctor in Sioux Falls, and they do an MRI on him and some other bunch of other tests. And 
Uh, we come back, and nurses are coming in and out of the room, and one comes in and say, where's the miracle child? And we're like, what the heck? How'd you know he was a miracle from God, that God spoke to my wife? Well, what she meant was, how in the world did he survive? He should have never lived. And it was probably a forewarning when Cindy came home from that one appointment when she was in tears. Our son had a stroke in uterus before he was born. Most of you know one-third of the right lobe of his cerebellum does not exist. At the time, we didn't know that. The doctors came in and said, well, we got three options. That big black spot is either a tumor. We don't like that option. Or it's fluid. We didn't really like that option. Or it's an empty space. Who'd think that's the best option? There was nothing there. Where the stroke had occurred, the brain had atrophied and didn't develop. And we're new Christians. How can this happen? God was in it from the get-go. What's going on? You know, and when you're going through a test for a trial because it gets spread out and you, you wonder what's happening, it, you know, it's easy to start questioning. Anybody ever, ever start asking questions? I'm not sure that it's wrong to ask questions. It just depends on what you do with the answers that you don't get. We're asking these questions, and of course it leads to a whole bunch of things. The OT, PT, speech therapy, it just went on and on. And we go down and see this pediatric specialist in Sioux Falls. And I think for all of us, there comes a time when you're going through that long trial and the long test and doubt is creeping in and you're questioning God, your faith feels like it's under attack. I think there comes a time when you either say, like this morning, let it go, or you're going to lose. And we went down to see this pediatric specialist who I really was tired of already. Because all he could tell me was all the things my little boy was never going to be able to do. He's never going to be able to ride a trek. He's never going to ride a bike. He may not be able to walk or run. He may not be. I got so sick of that. So sick of that. But, you know, it was hard to resist that voice telling you, where's your God? Where's God in this? Where's your faith? I mean, some of our teaching in those early years were like, gee, if this happened, my faith must not have been strong enough. It must be my fault. I mean, the enemy's good at what he does. But I remember that last time we went to that pediatric nutrition, and it became the last time because that was my moment to say to Cindy, we're never going back to that guy again, ever. I'm sick and tired of hearing what my son's not going to be able to do. We're going to trust God that our son's... (laughs) Golly, it's been so long ago. (laughs) We're going to trust God that our son's going to do whatever he wants him to do. And it's that moment. Yeah, praise God. But it's at those moments in each one of our lives when we're going through this test, this temptation, there's going to come a time, and I believe for some this morning, for some it was this weekend, we have to let it go and quit listening to all those contrary voices. And we got to trust God. Trust him. And the Lord is so gracious that he shows us a very, very excellent way to resist temptation. To recognize it for what it is, and then what to do with it when it comes. And I believe it's in the scriptures that I just read. Okay, get my act together here. 
You know, for us, that was a big test. That's why I've used that testimony in different ways so many times. And some of you are going through tests or have gone through tests that are way more serious. I know that. Some of us are going through trials and testings and temptations right now. I know that too. But we have a God that is faithful no matter what. No matter what. Jesus had been just publicly declared by an audible voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Notice when Satan comes to attack him face to face. I don't know what he did the first 40 days, but I know at the end of 40 days, Jesus became hungry and the devil showed up face to face. Sounds scary unless you're Jesus. Because we gain so much from that. The devil is exposed. The devil, we should know that the devil's real because we see what happened in the desert with Jesus. And we also should know that he has no power and no authority over our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. None. And it's kind of interesting that he's given us that kind of authority also. The first trial and test in Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, And the tempter came and said to him, Notice how it starts. I hope we get this. Because I think this is one of Satan's primary weapons to come uses against us. He says, If you are the Son of God, he starts questioning his identity immediately. Questioning his identity. You heard two testimonies up here. Who are these young ladies? They're the daughters of the king. They're children of the Most High God. They are precious in his sight. They are loved unconditionally by him. They are like that crown jewel of all of creation. That's who those two were. And so are all of us. We have an identity declared by God, not an audible voice, but one right here. And the good thing is the audible voice they heard once. We can look at this day after day after day after day after day and discover who we are, our identity. Jesus was challenged about his identity. And he says, if you're the son of the God, just command these stones to become bread. I know you're hungry. And what does Jesus do? He just quotes scripture. Man, it's so easy if we realize we're confronting the devil. Man, we can scream and we can holler and we can tell him to do this, that, and the other thing. Jesus just said, you know what? Here's what the word of God says. He quotes scripture. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of man, out of the mouth of God. And then in verse 5, it starts his second test. Then the devil took him to this holy city, put him on the pinnacle. And what does he do? Hmm. If you are the son of God, here we go. He's not going to give up. If you're the son of God. And this time being Jesus had used scripture. Guess what the devil decided to do? Use scripture. It might be good for us to realize that the devil can use Scripture always out of context, always to manipulate, lie, steal, kill, and destroy. But he will use Scripture. Fortunately, Jesus knew Scripture in context. Maybe there's a lesson for us there. We need to know Scripture and we need to know it in context and use it when we feel the enemy's attacks. He quotes scripture. He actually quotes from Psalms 91. 
And when he gets through doing that, Jesus also says, oh, you got to take this whole thing in context, Satan. It also says you're not going to put the Lord your God to a test. We can challenge the Lord. We can ask him to show us signs. That's all well and good. But here, where Jesus responded differently, he's saying, you know what? I don't trust you, God. I don't trust you. Jesus said, no, 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 no. We're not going to put him to test. And the third test comes, and the devil takes him to the high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the earth, and says to him, all these things I will give you. Now, part of me is like, really? That's going to tempt Jesus? You know, how many of you know what Jesus' name was before he was born? Come on, don't be shy. I, I don't know. No. The Word. In the beginning was the Word. Who was the Word? Jesus was the Word. So in my mind, that's his first name. Now it's called Jesus. But his first name was the Word, and out of the Word, the Word spoke, and everything was created. And now I'm going to be, I know, but it must have been a legitimate test. But maybe if Jesus' first name was the Word, and you and I want to get to know him better, I'll let you finish that thought. Because my wife says I slide into sarcasm. A long time ago. We need to know the Word. Jesus uses the Word three times. That's all He does. And at the end, He says, you know what? Go, Satan. Satan was done. He left. And it says He will not come back until there's a more opportune time, which I think He really blew it when He came back and tempted Him at the crucifixion. But he left him. He took off. But I want to stress again, if you're the son of God, the challenge about his identity, who are we? Who does the Bible declare you to be? And if the Bible declares you to be that, that's God calling you that. He's the one that identifies us as his child. We could go through scripture after scripture. If you want to get hundreds of them, just Google. Who are we called in the New Testament? You'll get hundreds of scriptures about who we are in Christ. In Christ. And Satan comes, I believe, more often than not, to challenge us with our identity. Who are you? You're a child of God, really? And you did that? Your God is faithful, really? How come you're, you're going through what right now? You're loved unconditionally? Are you kidding? Nobody could love you. Think of all the things you've done. And that list could go on and on, and Satan's really good at it. Because he came, and it's interesting, it's pointed out to us, after 40 days, Jesus became hungry. That would look like it could have been a moment where he was vulnerable. And I believe in the same way in our lives, he knows when we're most vulnerable. And when he gets ready to attack, it's usually in our most vulnerable state. We are ready to throw in the towel. We're ready to give up. We're ready to question him and our faith. We're, we're, we're in a bad spot. And here comes the enemy. And he's got an answer. It's never a good one. It might sound good to us at that moment. But remember, he's only there to steal, kill, and destroy. That's why he's there. That's who he is. And he's always trying to, it seems, attack our identity. 
And that attack of our identity, when it comes, that's okay. It's, it's just another temptation. But what do we do with it? What do we do with it? No one could love you. Wait a minute. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to die for Mike. It's how much he loves me. Yeah, right. There's no way you can do this. There's no way you can get through this. I know I can't, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Get lost, Satan. I mean, do we know Scripture? Do we recognize what comes at us as a temptation or a test? Do we even see the difference? The world is telling us so much stuff that's just evil, dressed in light. We need to be able to recognize it for what it is. We need the Word of God in us. The Word of God in us. So we can speak the Word of God. You notice when God, when Jesus did things in the Bible, almost always... It was the result of him speaking, speaking. All of creation was spoken into existence. We have the word of God, and we need to be able to speak it. But you can't do that if you don't know it. I'm not telling you we need to memorize it from Genesis to Revelation, but if you can, go ahead. But we need to know what the word of God says. And if you wonder, God, I don't even know where to start, Mike. Let me ask you this. Where do you feel the attack from the enemy most often? What part of your identity does he come at? Does it cause fear? Does it cause you to feel unloved? Man, just we're so blessed with Google sometimes. We can Google. How do I resist fear? Boing. Scriptures pop up. How do I identify how much God loves me? Hundreds of scriptures pop up. Start with those. Figure out, how do I know? He's going to come, and he's going to come the same way, by the way, until you resist it. As long as it works, he's going to keep coming at you with that. He's pretty good at what he does, but he's not creative. So as long as it works, he's going to keep punching that button. And I always tell people when we go through Steps to Freedom, you know, once we see him and know what he's doing, now he's got to come from another direction. And usually it's way easier for us to see where he's coming from now because we're not deceived there yet. We haven't got a habit established there in our lives. We need to understand who our enemy is. You know, I was pretty ticked off at that doctor, but he wasn't the enemy. He wasn't the one really causing me all the torment in my mind. It wasn't his voice. He was just a tool that was being used. Totally unaware, doing the best he could, I'm sure. But in each one of our lives, we need to remember when we're going through a trial and a testing, who it is the true enemy is. And we can go to Ephesians chapter 6, and it's very clear. Starting in verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. That's how we stand. It's in his might. Put on the full armor of God that so you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Put on the full armor. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but who is it against then? It's against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That's who our enemy is. How do we fight that enemy? We fight that spiritual enemy spiritually. Using the word of God, as it goes on and talks about the full armor of God, go ahead and read that, look through that, and you're going to see the word of God is a critical part of any of the other pieces of defensive armor. 
whether it's the helmet of salvation or your feet shod with the gospel of peace, it doesn't have faith, the shield of faith. It doesn't, without the word, you've got none of those things. But finally we get to, at the very end, the sword of the spirit. If we've got a spiritual enemy, we need a spiritual weapon. And what is that spiritual weapon? That spiritual weapon is the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. That's where our victory is. Knowing the word of God, having the word of God, understanding the word of God, and releasing the word of God. So we can be victorious. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus is speaking specifically to Jewish believers. But here's the scripture that we'll find here that you've heard probably many, many times before. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Let it go. Let it go. Claim the truth over the lie. Let it go. The worship team wants to come up. I'm about done, I think. Free. Who doesn't want to walk and live in freedom? In the natural, in the spiritual. The Word of God will set us free. Once we are free, we understand that we are loved unconditionally. We are free to love others. Once they understand our sin has been dealt with, we are at peace with God. We can be at peace with others. Once we understand the victory that we have, that we can be filled with that joy of the Lord that we can share with others. The whole thing is about us walking in freedom and liberty so that we can be used by the Lord to spread that. And really, it's nice to be a nice person. But the words we speak that come from the word of God are what carry the power. And they are what the Holy Spirit will use to open people's hearts. Let's close in prayer and end this worship song. Let's stand with me if you are able. Father, we thank you that there has already been a victory that has been accomplished through the cross, that the enemy is defeated. Satan has no power. He has no authority in the life of a believer unless we give it to him. Father, I pray you would draw us to your word. Holy Spirit, draw us to your word. Give us a hunger for your word. Your word says you're our teacher. Give us understanding of the word as we read it. Father, give us that ability by your spirit to pull the right word when we're confronted by the enemy, by thoughts, by temptations, or by other people. Father, we are so thankful that we can walk in victory because of Jesus. He fought the fight so long ago that we don't have to fight it. He declared and won the victory that we might live it. Father, I pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit those things that we need to let go of and that we would speak the words of life to help us to overcome in those areas where the enemy keeps attacking.